Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. Welcome to another Ask Zach, and we're doing another viewer mailbag episode. I love doing this. Please keep the questions coming in. We've got a doozy for today, a real doozy. So, and you got to wait all the way to the end to really get the uh, the complete payoff on this one. So, first off, uh, Josh Parsons uh, asked. Was that Reggie Young on Conway Twitty's tight-fitting jeans? And it, yes, it was. It took me a little while to uh, to find the the credits for it, but uh, that's off of Conway Twitty's Mr. T album, which has a snazzy cover with him in a golfing outfit and uh, and a green car. So, but uh, anyway, the only uh, yeah Reggie is listed as lead guitar. And the only guy listed is that. And it certainly sounds like Reggie on Tight Fitting Jeans. And if you haven't heard that song, you need, you need to listen to it. It's, it's amazing. Just, it's amazing. Uh, another uh, Conway Twitty that it doesn't feature uh, Reggie Young, but that you ought to listen to it, is called Working Girl. Especially if you can find the live version where uh, John Huey is playing pedal steel and doing like chicken picking on pedal steel. And it's... It's on the uh, the old uh, Wagon Master show. Uh, oh, golly. Porter Wagner's show. Uh, yeah, they're on that. And uh, John Huey uh, is like chicken picking on the, the pedal steel. And it's it's fantastic. You need to find that. And, they're, and they've got dance moves and everything. Yeah, you, you got to hear that. Okay, so thanks, Josh, for that one. The second one, uh, and the reason I played uh you know a bit of brad paisley's wrapped around is because of this next question and this one is by todd williams so he said i love the channel thank you he said correct me if i'm wrong you teched for brad right yes i did i was brad's first full-time guitar tech i worked for him for from 2002 through 2005 early 2005 said, I'd love to hear more about the day-to-day -day of being a tech for Brad Paisley. 
Also, did Brad have any practice routines on the road? All right. So, as I said before, I was Brad's first full-time guitar tech. Before that, his bass player, Kenny Lewis, had kind of put his stuff up, but then, of course, couldn't help him during the show. Then later on, uh, Kendall Marcy, his current band leader and, and keyboard player and banjo player, he helped him out some. Uh, his brother, Chris Marcy, helped out some uh, while they were doing other jobs. Uh, and uh, so I was his first full-time guitar tech. We went to Belmont University together in the early 90s. We played in bands together. We used to tear apart Telecasters and swap pickups and necks. And uh, just, I mean, we would Frankenstein up guitars. At times, he would have a Telecaster that had one of my necks on it, and I'd have one of his. And, you know, it was just crazy. So uh, he tracked me down through the Belmont Alumni Association because I had moved away from Nashville. I had lived in France for a year. And then I had uh, gone back and was working uh, in Pasadena, Texas, uh, for a good friend of mine named Jim Tice. And if you're out there, Jim, thank you for being a, uh, a wonderful employer and friend. So, uh, yeah, I was working in, in Pasadena. Brad calls me up, uh, said, "Hey, you know, you want to? You know, would you be interested in being my guitar tech?" I hemmed and hawed for a little bit, and uh, he. He flew me out to let me, you know, kind of see what it was going to be like. And of course, you know, how could I, how could I not say yes to it? So I did. I so I went to work for Brad and it made a, it opened so many doors for me uh, as far as in the, of course, in the music industry. I owe a lot to Brad Paisley. So thank you, Brad. So let's get down to answering the question day to day. Uh, again, this was, you know, early on, we had two buses and an 18 wheeler. And, you know, the buses had uh, Brad and the road manager and some of the band guys. And then the other bus had the crew and some more band guys. And then the 18-wheeler was carrying, you know, like amps and guitars and, uh, and our set. And then it had like the front of house mixing board and the monitor mixing board. And the front of house is, of course, the guy that's out in the audience that, that is, um, you know, has a big mixing board. He controls the sound that the audience hears. And then uh, the monitor engineer controls the sound that uh, people hear in their in-ear monitors or in wedges, whatever you have. So we would load in. Uh, we had a set that was a boat dock uh, with a, I think it was like a 20-foot bass boat from Ranger Boats, and it was cut stem to stern right down the middle so we could, you know, make it easier to pack in the 18-wheeler. So we had that and we had this boat dock and so we'd get all that up and then we would get all the amps and I'd set up Guitar World where I worked on guitars and had all sorts of tools and spare tubes and all sorts of stuff and um, and that's where I would you know work on guitars. And of course I'd get all of his amplifiers set up and at that point he was using three Dr. Z amps. He was using a, a Maserati and two Carmen Ghia amplifiers and we had a rack that had a wireless and had a GCX switcher and uh, you know, a bunch of pedals and drawers. And the, uh, the GCX had a controller board that Brad had one in front of him on stage and then I had one off stage. And we'll talk more about that later. So we'd get everything set up, uh, make sure everything was sounding okay. There weren't any problems, weren't any like noise issues. Sometimes 
uh, Kevin Freeman at front of house, he would say, Hey, I'm get, Hey, I'm getting a bad buzz on, uh, you know, on, on your, your right amp. And so sure enough, there'd be like a ground issue or something and I'd have to figure that out. Um, the gig was hard because I'd never been a guitar tech before. I'd certainly been a guitar player and played gigs and, uh, and worked on my own gear to a degree, but I was still kind of using repairmen. So all of a sudden I was having to do a lot more than I had done in the past. And it's at this point, I want to thank a lot of people that helped me out, uh, because Brad would ask me to do things and I wouldn't know how to do it. And I couldn't just say, well, I don't know how. I'd, you know, I, I needed to have a good answer. And so I would say, I don't know how to do this, but I will figure it out. And Brad appreciated that. So immediately when he would ask me to do something I didn't know how to do, I would call up guys like Bill Crook. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Mike Zate, AKA Dr. Z. Thank you, Dr. Z. Um, uh, Robert Keeley, um, you know, the guys at uh, Voodoo Lab, uh, James Santiago, who of course he's gone on to, you know, design like the ox and things like that. And Josh and some of the other guys at, at Voodoo Lab would help me out with the GCX and programming that. So, uh, yeah, so I had, I had a lot of help. So we would get everything going, make sure everything was working right. And, uh, then we would play a song. So the band would come out and I would be kind of stunt Brad because uh, we wanted to make sure everything was fine before we called Brad out. And so I would play guitar and we'd usually play like a Merle Haggard tune like Big City or Ramblin' Fever or Poncho and Lefty. And uh, yeah, and we would, you know, kind of rough things in, make sure everything was good. And we would give the road manager the thumbs up if everything was good and then he would go and get Brad off the bus. And then I would hand Brad a Telecaster that was in tune and uh, they would run through a song. And that's usually when the tweaking would begin because Brad really wanted his guitar to sound as stellar as possible in every venue we played at. So to do that, you know, of course, you know, we would be changing out amps, changing out speaker cabinets, changing the height of pickups, changing out pickups, changing pedals, um, all sorts of things. Um, you know, using like a JBL 15 inch speaker instead of a Celestion Blue on one amp to get more low end or, you know, all sorts of things. So uh, now while we were doing all that, the band was standing around with their instruments on because after we did the tweaking, we'd have to run another song to make sure it sounded good in context because that's what mattered. It needed to sound good in the context of the band. So then we would play another song or two. And if Brad was happy, that was it. We would break, and uh, and that was when I would start stringing guitars. So in the early days, I would string about four or five instruments. So those, you know, a couple Telecasters for Brad, maybe an acoustic. Um, Gary Hooker, I was usually stringing up an acoustic and electric for him. Uh, then as things got a little crazier and we had more guitars, because in the early days, Brad had his 68 Paisley, and he had the first Blue Crook Tele. And that was it. He had those two tellies and that we didn't have, a, you know, we had the main guitar and the backup and that was it. Uh, but soon Bill Crook started building more instruments for us. And so, you know, in a couple of years we had a fleet of, you know, Crook guitars, all different color, you know, Paisley. And unfortunately a lot, all those got destroyed or most of them got destroyed in the big flood. But, uh, 
Anyway, so I'd string up guitars. Then usually it was time to go to catering and have some dinner. And after, after I ate some dinner, then I would go turn on all the amps, uh, all the Dr. Z amps and turn them on so they could warm up. I would do a run through. I would go through all of his pedals and all of his sounds and make sure everything sounded correct. Um, then, uh, you know, do any more, you know, little tweaking or repairs or anything that needed to be done. And then we would start the show. You know, I'd, well, I would take a, a guitar to Brad and he would, he would kind of warm up on it some, uh, and then we, you know, we'd start the show. Then after about two songs, we would do our first guitar change. Now I had a set list set up and on it, it had, uh, any capo positions on acoustics and, and what guitar we were going to use and, you know, when we were going to change stuff. And so, but about two songs in, we would change guitars and that was a good time for us to, uh, touch base on how how things were sounding and how things were going and you know brad might say sounds great or it might be um i need a little more delay or i think one of the mics got bumped and i can remember going back and it was obvious a stagehand must have hit a mic because i mean it was it was nowhere near the speaker and it, it had sounded right before but someone had obviously run past the speaker cabinet you know right as the show was starting or something so anyway would fix that uh, other times there'd be other issues, like there'd be a, a security issue in the front of the stage where, you know, audience members were doing something that was not kosher and Brad didn't want to point at them or anything. So he would just tell me, you know, what was going on. And then I could go off stage and get on the radio and, uh, and have things taken care of. Or I could tell monitor engineer, you know, Mark that, uh, he wants more of this or what have you. So, uh, now to touch on what I mentioned earlier was the GCX switcher. So what that was, was that was how you controlled the rack. So Brad or I could change his sounds during the show. And most of the time it was me. So we had kind of cues that were worked out and we would have moments in songs where I would bring in different sounds. So I'm going to take mud on the tires as a, as an example. Um, that one, uh, you know, it starts off with just acoustic guitar and, you know, banjo, you know, for the first verse. And then it has a pre-chorus that's in the key of D and the pre-chorus starts with a, a, a rake uh, over a G chord. So you have... tremolo off and you'd go into the chorus and this I really liked this rhythm pattern that he would use here uh, he had started playing it years before and I you know copied it already and then I loved it that he used it in uh, mud on the tires so you, he went into the chorus and you have the so yeah he would use that like on big city or other songs like that you know you know, where, where you might go, or go, he would do this. So anyway, he, uh, he used that on mud on the tires, you know. 
So that was an example of me kind of bringing in a tremolo sound and then going back to his normal Telecaster sound, which of course was a Tele through an analog delay with a single repeat. I'm kind of replicating it here with an old Boss DM3. He used a way huge Aquapus and uh, that into the Dr. Z amps. That was kind of his main core tone. And then uh, other effects were brought in like tremolo, vibrato, um, tube screamer, you know, was used a lot. Uh, for solos like on ballads so not on the you know you know of course he had his kind of straight telecaster sound that he used most of the time but then on a, on a ballad you know for the solo i would bring in a uh, a tube screamer patch and uh, that would allow him to be anywhere on stage and he didn't have to worry about running back to his you know pedal board to uh, to turn on a tube screamer so then we would uh you know hopefully the show would go smoothly and uh you know, and when it did, I, I was very elated. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we would load out and that was a typical day. And then we would do it again the next day. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It got a little harder as we started having full production, meaning when we were carrying our own PA and we started having video screens and a lot of moving lights and things like that. And we started having load in at 6 a.m. and and, uh, and not being done till like one in the morning and then you'd have to do it again the next day. It got a little harder, it got a little tougher. So, but still it was a great gig and I learned so much from it and I'm so grateful to Brad Paisley. So Brad, uh, thank you. Uh, second part of the question was, did Brad have a practice routine on the road? Uh, no, he did not. I mean, he was playing a lot live. The only time he would really practice was when we would be adding in a new song to the set list and so you know of course you would record a whole album and then they would start releasing singles off the album and as they released the singles we would start adding those songs to the set list so i can remember vividly him getting a tascam phrase trainer thing that was a thing that you could put a cd in and you could slow stuff down and he had to learn his own guitar solo to mud on the tires and some of the other tunes where you see in the studio and I was there in the studio. Um, you know, I was, I was with him for the, the whole process of mud on the tires and, and part of the album after that, um, you know, he would play all these off the cuff solos because he was trying to impress us. So, you know, because we would be doing overdubs and so it'd be Brad's then producer, Frank Rogers, uh, an engineer, and myself and of course Brad and we'd all be in the same room together in the control room when we'd have amps you know blaring in another room and he would keep playing until he got a rise out of us and you know and that's usually you know what would be the keeper and uh, you know especially if you made us laugh he knew he had a good a good solo uh, so yeah so then he would have to relearn that solo so I thought that was really funny and you know and great you know he would he would uh, he would take a Telecaster and the little phrase trainer on the back of the bus and he would uh, learn the solos. As far as earlier practice techniques back in college, he used to take, uh, he used to record himself playing acoustic guitar, finger picking, and he would record it with a click track. And then he would listen back to it at the slowest speed. And what that does is it really allows you to see where you're off the beat when you're finger picking. And so, uh, yeah, by slowing it down and listening back and, uh, and because of that, because of that hard work, he had such, he, and still does has such stellar time. Uh, and I loved hearing him play acoustic. He would, when we were doing the tracking sessions, uh, he would play acoustic and, 
It was fantastic. And I loved hearing him play acoustic live. I loved hearing him play rhythm. He was such a great rhythm player and had such a great feel. He had like a, uh, a nice, you know, light swing to, to what he did. And it just, he made everything feel, it had just a great feel to it. All right. So we've, we've talked about that. Now this is the, the doozy part of the story. So I found this in my Brad Paisley archives. And uh, so while we were out on the road, we were touring with some acts that were not, quote, country sounding at all. And they were, you know, really distorted guitars and sounded, you know, like rock music. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it was just, you know, it was getting to be a time where Brad was just about the only telecaster you heard on country radio. And otherwise, it was all, uh, you know, rock guitar sounding stuff. And again, nothing wrong with that, but there was just kind of like, kind of, uh, I guess that was, you know, good and bad. You know, we were, you know, Brad was unique. So Brad had this idea for a, a t-shirt to sell. And he said, uh, I wanted to say, keep it country, you bass turd, and then have a fish with doo-doo. Okay. So I, now I was there for this conversation and I was there on the bus when Brad talked to the road manager that was also doing merchandise. And, uh, and I heard the phone conversation between the road manager and the t-shirt company. And he starts talking to me until he had a, a bad connection because the road manager starts putting his finger in his ear and he goes, yeah, and then put fish with doo-doo. So I don't know if you can tell where this is going. But two weeks later, you know, T-shirt shows up, says, Brad Paisley gone fishing. And then on the back, it says, keep it country, you bastard. But they also wrote out the fish with doo-doo. It was just supposed to be, <laughs> it was just supposed to be a fish with doo-doo coming out of it. But they actually wrote fish with doo-doo. So there you have it. This is a collector's item. Uh, it's, I, I don't know if there's any others. I think the rest of them were burned or destroyed in some way. So yeah, so that was a fun one. That was a fantastic moment because it was just, it was like a bad comedy routine. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ask Zach. Uh, we had, uh, you know, hope you had fun. I did. Uh, and I hope you will subscribe. I hope you will share this with others. And I just thank you so much for watching. And I hope you have an amazing week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, check out my website, askzach.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.